Boker Tov, we continue in the Sefer, Nefesh Shimshon. Just have a few uh, loose ends to tie up regarding the Ketores. Um, we know that Hashem cursed the snake and said, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. That means that the sustenance of the snake is always found by him. Because there's dust everywhere. Now, how is that a curse? And the answer is the greatest curse that's possible is that the snake has no need to pray to Hashem. And as if Hashem says, take the food that's yours and get out of my face. And that's how the snake is cut off from Hashem. So therefore, we can understand now, where the rabbis say that the snake has no taste from its food. Okay. So, from here we see an amazing thing. Once you are disconnected from Hashem, you're disconnected from all pleasure. Because the source of all pleasure is Hashem. So, even though everybody enjoys when they eat that's just the nature of the world but the real point of life that comes from the pleasure that comes from Hashem okay and that's what it says in Mishle where it talks about the person says all my days are, are of poverty and evil is a poor man has no pleasure from his food where the food doesn't make him feel any happier. So therefore, we've got to make a lot of effort to get used to recognizing this truth that every Hanoah comes straight from Hashem. That's the critical point. We all eat. We have no choice. We all take pleasure in the food that we eat. But we have to find a way to connect that pleasure to Hashem. And that comes with a little bit of thought and to feel as we're eating the closeness that we can get to Hashem with. That's why Hashem gives us the taste to take pleasure in Him and to sense the Creator. And that's why Hashem makes the food tasty. When we feel that, when we can sense that good taste, but it's a good taste that comes from Hashem. It's a good taste of Kedusha and closeness to Hashem, who cares about everything that we need. And when a person connects the food to Hashem, then the food achieves its desired goal. And its, its existence is from Hashem, and the consumption is towards Hashem. It's like the Or Yashar and the Or Choser. The direct light is what Hashem gives us, but the returning light is what we give back to Hashem. And that is the cyclical nature of the relationship. And that's the simple meaning of the bracha, shehakol niyeh bidvaro, that all exists by his word. When you take food and you enjoy it, the rabbis say these words so that we can give back to Hashem to unify that food with the creator and to reveal that that pleasure comes from Hashem. Now, the problem is 
that at the moment that we start eating and drinking, all of a sudden forget about Hashem. And we get sunk into ourselves. And that's a tremendous descent. The pleasure comes from the food. It comes from Gashmias, which could be perceived as a separation from Hashem. Because he's the one who's given you the ability to have that pleasure. So we got to accustom ourselves to think about Hashem while we're eating. And even though the person senses that he's enjoying the food and it's very tasty, but you got to know more. And if you don't, you don't connect to Hashem, that means the other side, the Sitra Acher is there. And then we're attributing the pleasure to the Sitra Acher. And therefore, it's like he stole the ownership of the food that really is rightfully to be attributed to Hashem. So if we don't uh, have the thought about the pleasure of the eating that comes from Hashem, then it's likely, God forbid, we'll be sunk into the abyss that'll make us very uh, hard for the uh, us to appreciate the light of Hashem. Okay, now, um, used to be, for example, person would only have dessert on Yontif, mm -hmm. never in the middle of the week, right? So you have to understand how the food turns to Hashem, and therefore you're going to say, but I understand. People don't think of Hashem and they enjoy the food. They do and they don't. Yeah. They do and they don't. It's, it's, it's a fleeting enjoyment. And it's gone. Once it's down your, past your palate, it's history. And therefore people, for example, can overeat and then they are physically not well. Or you're just looking for more food. And that great struggle with food that brings all kinds of stress. You could look at a magazine and in one magazine's got all kinds of luscious foods and attempting you to buy the foods, fattening foods. And in the same magazine, there's diets. <laughs> so you're going back and forth from pressing and soifing to dieting. That's not a pleasure. But if you enjoy the pleasure of Hashem, that pleasure stays. And that doesn't the pleasure of Hashem doesn't have any calories. And that is a real, a real pleasure. Okay. Anything else than that really is a faux pleasure and will never really make you happy. So that is what the Ketores is showing us, that the epitome of pleasure, which comes from smell, we attribute it to Hashem. And therefore, we'll be able to move on to the next level of Sukkot Zimra, where we're able to sing out praises to Hashem. Okay, that took care of that. We still have two more, you know, a few more things till we're going to get into Sukkot Zimra. And the next one is... In the Karbanos, there's a section called a Zehu Mekoman. Where is the place that various offerings are brought? Okay. And uh, we're trying to achieve, you know, this purity through the whole Karbanos process. So we got to understand when the rabbis decided to put various aspects of Karbanos into the tefillah, why they picked certain ones. So the last item that Rav Pincus is going to speak about is this Eizehu Makoman. 
where it is a number of Mishnayis in Mesechus Vochem. And we've made it part of the Siddur. To Shulchan Rav Paskins, the reason we say Eza Makomon is so that a person should marry to learn some Mishnah every day. And these are Mishnayis. But the question is, why do we choose those Mishnayis? And the Mishnah explains that these Mishnayis in Zvachim are very choice Mishnayis. And one of the reasons is it's the only chapter in the Talmud where there's no machlokas. Almost every Mishnah, most Mishnayis have machlokas. And if it's not in one Mishnah, in a parak, go find a parak, a whole chapter where there's not one machlokas in a Mishnah. They all have it. This one has no machlokas, and we therefore call it halacha psuka. It's clear halachas. Okay. So, th- this is the words of the Arizal. This is a very interesting idea. When we talk about the different spiritual worlds, and we talk about the ascension of the worlds, in order for one world to ascend and connect to a higher world, we have to have shalom and no machlokas and no arguments. So, so what does that mean? So is, is he just saying we want to have words that are all agreed to according to everybody? But uh, it seems that there is a need for shalom and there should not be machlokas. Now, let's try to understand what does this really mean. Okay, I understand that between two people, there shouldn't be any strife. Okay, because we know the rabbis say if two people are arguing with each other, the shekhinah goes away. So argument is a deficiency. But what if it's an argument in Torah? where two rabbis of the Mishnah are arguing. These are holy people. They're not angry at each other. So you call this a machlokas? This is the real Torah. And the Gemara, for example, says that one day Rabbi Vyasser meets Eliyoh Navi, and he asks him, what is Hashem doing right now? So he says he's engaged in studying a certain topic that is uh, going on. And he says, and what is Hashem saying? He's saying, if Yasser, my son, says like this, Yonah, son, my son, says like this. So it's like Hashem is actually learning Torah with his children. Okay? So as we know, Gmar says, Elu ve'elu chaim. These and these are the words of the living God. Do you call this machlokas? Is this a bad thing? So what is this deeper idea? That when the rabbis are arguing, it's okay. But when me and you are having a fight, it's not okay. So let's take a look at what the rabbis say in Gomorrah Sot and Gomorrah Sanhedrin. It says like this. When there were more students, when Shammai and Hillel increased their student base, and they did not serve their rebbe's as good as they should have. There increased arguments upon the Jewish people, and the Torah became like two Torahs. So what does that mean? 
means until the students of Shammai and Hillel, there was almost no machlokas amongst the scholars of Israel. As Rashi says, the first real machlokas was regarding if you do smicha on Yontif, if you lay your hands on a korban on Yontif. And it started with the different pairs of rabbis that are listed in the first chapter of Pirkei Yavos. Yossi ben Yoezer, Ishtzereda, Yossi ben Yochanan, Ishr Shalayim. One said, you do rest your hands on the animal. One said, not. And therefore, this aspect of Meshicha, this, this argument continued for generations, as the Mishnah says. So this was the first time there was an argument of, with the Jewish people, right? Until we reach Hillel and Shammai as well. Shammai said, don't put your hands on Hillel, said yes. It's interesting, Hillel and Shammai, not Beis Hillel, Beis Shammai, they argued only in three places. While their students argued in many, many more places. So what does this mean? Does that mean to say that until we got to the argument of Hillel and Shammai, there was no machlokas? No. It means like this, that every time there was an argument, they reached a conclusion of clarity where they came to the conclusion of what is the ruling. The machlokas ended. And that's what the Rambam says in his introduction to the commentary on the Mishnahis. He says, when Yehoshua died, the Zikadim learned what they received from Yeshua. And if there was an argument, the, they voted on it, and the majority of the sages decided what the law was. So therefore, there was never a time where people couldn't figure out what was going on over there. And every generation relied on what was on an earlier generation, and they come up with new ideas new discussions, and they vote on those new ideas. So therefore, you can imagine when you were in Yoshua's base medrash, there was lots of arguments going on. But at the end of the day, they came up with the law. When did arguments become a deficiency? When they spend the whole day arguing and they come to no conclusion. And now you have two different opinions. That's like two separate Torahs, and that's a great deficiency. If they don't have a clarity of deciding what the law is, you never know. You could have like 30 Torahs. And that's what, but there always was Machlokas. But until now, Machlokas ended. We debated for hours and hours. We vote, we come to conclusion, and Azoigetus. But then we kept the Hill and Shammai's generations. There was Machlokas, but they couldn't resolve the opinions. For whatever reason, they couldn't resolve it. So let's have a good example of this. But there always was Machlokas. We know that you may not marry someone who descends from Ammon. But the Allah is that's only for males. Females, you may marry them. Same with Moab. This was a big machlokas amongst the Jewish people in the times of David HaMelech. Doeg Domi thought that no, you cannot marry a female Moabite. Avner was a godl hador, he was quiet. 
Shoal himself was a godlador. He was quiet. All the rabbis were quiet until Boaz came along. Or really, was earlier than that. He says, this is the tradition I have from the base medrash of Shmuel. It was an old mach locus, and only Boaz knew the correct halacha. That was the Masorah, that was the tradition. And they accepted it. And there's no more machlokas. But there's always machlokas during the years of the history of the Jewish people. And that's how you clarify the topic. Where you purify the concepts and clarify them until you get to the real truth. And that's not a deficiency, that's a virtue. You know, machlokas like that is like plowing the field so you could have things that grow really well. I'll give you a better example. You get a piece of bread. What do you do to the piece of bread? You chop it up into pieces with your teeth. Aren't you breaking the bread? Remember, machlokas comes from chelek, pieces. So you're destroying the bread. Well, not exactly, because when you're chewing the bread, you're not destroying it, you're putting saliva in it, and it gives the ability to swallow and ingest, and to live. So all the debates about halacha was to bring the Torah to its core, to be able to ingest and live through those halachas. And that's what Goran Kedushin says, that even a father and son, a Rebbe and a student, they engage in Torah, and while they're engaged, they're like enemies in halacha. But that's not a deficiency. That's the only way you get to the clarity of halacha, to get to the truth. And if there's a deficiency, it's because they didn't succeed to get to the final truth after the argument. And then you find it's like there's many different Torahs. So that's a very important concept over here. It's a good, now, if you, if you want to get any idea, so let's use a parable that's very practical. The uh, United States is a democracy. It has more than one party. And they would debate things. Now, each party has their feeling of what's best for the country. So you debate it. You come to a compromise. And the truth is, it's, it, it, it's you know, Although not everybody's 100% satisfied, but they're not 100% dissatisfied either. And that's how you're able to continue. There's two perspectives. They each have something virtuous. Okay, so let's try to get the best of both sides to come up with a package that works. What's happening in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, is that the two sides can't come to any agreements. There's nothing bipartisan anymore. And what happens is, especially when it goes left, is that it, it destroys the country. People are taking their ideas to an extreme, and when there's an extreme, it destroys the country. And as you can see, so that's when a machlokas is bad because half of the country doesn't agree with what the other half is saying. And if the other half wins and they do what they do, then the other half isn't happy. 
And what does that mean? The country will fall apart. It's like there's two separate laws. We'll just wait till the other one gets in power, then the law will change again. Okay? So, therefore, that, that's a major fault. You have to come to a conclusion. Okay? So, I gotta, where did I come to, where's, where's the place now? Okay. So now, with this we can understand the difference between the first tablets and the second tablets. Now, any machlokas that um, uh, expresses a lack of clarity of Torah, that's a deficiency in the light of Torah. This whole idea of machlokas happened with the second tablets. If we never had a second tablet, so we had the first, and that was Mamish God's tablets, and then we say that it's Chorus, it was etched by Hashem, and etched Chorus also is Chorus, is freedom. Freedom from the Malachamoves, freedom from forgetting. That's going to be the Torah in the future when Mashiach comes. It's a different type of Torah. There's a Torah without Machlokas. Hashem, when he said the Ten Commandments, there was no machlokas. Hashem, in the 40 days that Moshe was on the mountain, no machlokas. Hashem is giving you the unadulterated truth. Moshe comes down with the tablets that represents pure, unfiltered, given by God as perfect can be. And that would have been the Torah we would have learned. We never would have forgot it. And that would be the end of the game. But now, when they broke, we have a new point of Machlokas, and this becomes the beauty of the Torah, but that's only after the second tablets. Now that we have a different way of coming to Torah, so we don't have the freedom of the Malachim of us, we don't have the freedom from forgetting, we don't have the freedom from the Yetzirah, now the Torah has a different aspect, which is what? I created a Yetzirah and I created a Torah that is the antidote to that. In other words, when we got the first Luchos, it's the perfect Torah. It's mamish straight from God, 100%. You can't forget what's straight from God. There's nothing to debate when it comes straight from God. There's no Yetzirah when it's straight from God. But all of a sudden, when the Jews sin and we now got to get the second tablets, we now have to deal with the Yetzirah. And how are we going to deal with the Yetzirah? We have to be engaged in debating Torah. The debate of Torah satisfies this need of contrariness, which is not destructive because it will come to a conclusion. And that becomes the beauty of the Torah. But in the future, when Mashiach comes, the beauty will be constructed another way because there's no Yetzirah. So you will just have the pure, unfiltered Torah. And that's all you need. And the light shines out and there'll be no doubts at all. So it's a big Chiddush of why it's so important to study Torah. Because... One of the aspects is if you're busy in fighting the battle of Torah, and what does that mean? 
Let's give up an example. On the negative side, somebody, you got in a really big fight with somebody. Now, then you, uh, you're doing something else. You're still thinking about that fight. Oh, I got to get that guy back. No matter what you're doing, you're doing something else. It's weighing on your mind. As I say, the guy's living rent-free in your mind. Always thinking about that. So let's reverse it. How about something good? You're, you're fighting about what's the halach. And you're figuring, this is the emes, what Hashem wants. That guy says, this is the emes. Now, there's no hatred between you and the other position, but there is the um, the clash, the intellectual clash that exists, that's sitting on your mind. It weighs on your mind. There's no room for the eights of her with Meshigasa up there. What are you drinking me a cup with eating treif? I'm trying to understand the word of Hashem. You want me to eat treif? All right, so this is the value of learning Torah when the first tablets are broken. Okay. Now, so there's two levels. The one we're on and the one we hope will happen in the days of Mashiach. And really, when that happens, the closest Hashem will be much stronger. So, we want to be able to have a little taste of that kind of Torah, even when we're here in this world. So we're in this world right now to learn Torah, and that's our main job, is to learn Torah. And there's all kinds of levels of learning Torah. There's learning Torah not for the sake of Torah, Shalom Lishma. But we say, well, we learned Shalom Lishma, so we'll come to Lishma, which is the higher level. It's a total different level. When you learn Lishma, your learning goes up to Shemaim and beyond the Shemaim. Rava says there's a contradiction in Tupsukim. One says that the Torah is as high until the Shemaim is your kindness. Another one says your kindness is above the heavens. The answer is, what's the difference? That's if you're doing things lishma or not lishma. If you're learning Torah lishma, the Mishnah says you merit a lot of things. The main Torah that we engage with, we shouldn't fool ourselves and uh, think we're on a higher level than that we're at. And the main Torah that we're supposed to be learning is the, as they call it, the Milcham Tashel Torah, the War of Torah. That's L'Shem Shemaim, to get closer to Hashem, to know the will of Hashem, that breaks the Yetzirah. Learning Torah breaks all the barriers between us and Hashem. And that's the only way we can come to the truth of Torah. So that becomes, our, for our level, that becomes our highest level. And how do you clarify the Torah? By fighting it out till you come to the truth. And therefore, there's ways of getting close to Hashem with our Torah. There's moments where we can feel connected to Hashem and we can appreciate this connection to the world to come as well. In other words, when you get to that real clarity, you have a taste of what it'll be like when Mashiach comes. Just like when we go through the holiday schedule of the year, we go through a whole year. So within this whole year, we have one day that's more special than the others, and that's Yom Kippur. 
We're totally free from the Yetzirah. We're like angels. Right? There's no fighting. Now, is is today, are we in Olam Abba? Are we actually Malachim? No, but Hashem created the world. You get a flash of what it could be. And therefore, this is the idea of getting this flash of what it'll be like in the future. Okay. Sorry, this is still introductory. We don't, we haven't gotten to the final point. We're out of time. But we'll see where, you understand where this is going. We're going to get to Mishnayis where there's no Machlokas. So we want to have that flash of a perfect connection. But we'll have to wait for the rest after Shabbos. Sorry to keep you in suspense. Keep you in suspense.